The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. So I guess it's been a couple of months now that uh, when I was uh, planning this this particular trip to to come out to the Midwest, uh, my family's from uh, Indiana, or it's where I grew up. So I'm back through this area. So it's like mentioned, like you know, ten years now, I've been 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 coming back. We used to still still meet in Mark's uh, living room, Mark and Wynn's living room, and I used to think forty people was a huge huge gathering at that time. So this is this is what I have an idea, Mark. You're going to need to put a balcony in up here, <laughs> and then we can we can still get another twenty people in here, maybe. So um, that'll be your next next project. But uh, um, so I was uh, planning and. Uh, I was actually invited to say North Dakota to lead a retreat on a loving kindness retreat, and that's uh, that's one of my main meditation objects is uh, uh, loving kindness. And, and then I gave a, a couple of talks at a small university, and they wanted me to talk about compassion. And and uh, and so I decided when when uh, Shelley asked what I wanted to talk about here, I was like, well, let's talk about art. And I just decided just change the subject completely, and I remembered. Probably about five years ago, um, for about ten years ago, actually ten years, I've been slowly sort of developing art as a meditation project, project uh, uh, meditation object. How to use uh, painting as a, as a meditation technique, and uh, you know, slowly, only in the last. I think every time I say, it, every time I think about this, it seems like in the last year it's finally getting to where I kind of kind of like it. So it's this still continuous progression, and. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I've got a few images of what, I'll, what I've actually just been doing this year, and I uh, was sort of talking about that. But then at the mealtime, I was talking to to Mark today at, at lunch, and uh, was describing to him one of the the funny things of that I've noticed with all of my teachers, particularly like three different teachers that I've been learning uh, from meditation or just how to be a monk from. And uh, I did a icon painting workshop with the the Catholic uh, father uh, just recently. And I noticed that a trend with all three of these is they're they're all highly critical of my artwork, and uh, you know sort of you know giving me lots of sort of negative feedback and things like that. And uh, and Mark was like, well, that'd be a great dhamma talk, you know, to talk about how, you know how to give feedback. Because what I was mentioning is in art, I was a liberal arts educa- liberal arts education, and uh, when I was in in art school, at least there, you know, a lot of the you know art uh, studio classes. Was actually learning how to critique other people's artwork. So it's, you know, a lot of a lot of it was you know learning skillfully how to how to point things out to people. So Mark said that I was like, well, it's actually the Buddha does give actually a lot of instructions on that, and uh, and, and and I've I've talked about that quite a bit in in some of the practices I've done. I've probably talked here about it once, whereas a, a practice of of asking for forgiveness and. Uh, and the Buddha gives very clear instructions on how to sort of give feedback or admonish people. And so I've taken those those two practices of how to how to admonish people in terms of, and switched it for like how to ask for forgiveness, sort of mingling the two. So it's something I've thought about a lot, kind of in terms of of loving kindness practices as, as well. So um, so I had these these two themes sort of going: the kind of art and. Uh, and now sort of thinking about head monitorment. So I'm opening myself up tonight for so you guys can give me all your, your feedback about the, my artwork. Or, um, but uh, it was funny when um, uh, I was actually thinking about this and Mark pulled out uh, uh, one of Ajahn Suchito, who's a senior monk in our tradition who lives in England. And he was uh, really creative with his, uh, his book, Dawn of the Dhamma. He did like a series of 30 paintings, uh, kind of Celtic artwork, and drawings and and there's do you have it in your regular library or just in your office? Just in your office. But if you ever want to see it, it's some crazy wild paintings and stuff that he did. And he made it into a book based on the teachings of the Four Noble Truths and goes through the the uh, the uh, um, was it the Dhammachaka Sutta and goes through all, all this kind of paintings are just kind of going through that. And uh, in the one section in there in sort of in, in the Dhammachaka Sutta, where the Buddha's sort of going through after his enlightenment, there's this thing where the deva realms, the devas sort of will start at like the lower realm and they start 
like the earthbound devas sort of rejoice at the Buddha's awakening, and then the devas in the next higher realm hear about, they hear the, the joy, and they look down, and say, oh, what's going on? And then they, they hear about the Buddha's awakening, and they start rejoicing, and it goes all the way up into the highest heaven realms. And so Ajahn Sachito is talking about each of these different realms. And there's two realms that are called, uh, the, the English translation is, the devas who delight in creating, and then devas who delight in the creations of others. And it's interesting that in, the, in those two realms, there's uh, two, in the, in the devas who delight in the creations of others, that uh, there's two devas or two sort of gods that are responsible for this heaven realm, and neither one knows that the other one exists. So they think they're the only ones who are there. And so Ajahn points out that sort of in this creation realm, there's a lot of delusion there. And so I thought that was really kind of interesting that all of my teachers are sort of, you know, sort of, they have to bring us down to the sort of the earth realm. Like when you're, you're in the creative, you're in your head and you're, you're kind of doing lofty things. And so it's good for them every once in a while to sort of test you, sort of just sort of, well, you didn't do that right. And just to see how you respond and keep us, keep us earthbound. So it's a, it's kind of a, I, I like this, that kind of image. But actually one of the, one of the, uh, the devas who probably you've heard of is, is Mara. Mara is actually one of the one of the gods that's in the uh, the, the the that that one of those high high heaven realms. And so it's interesting. We often think of Mara. If you know anything about Buddhist cosmology, as sort of being like the equivalent to the devil, but he's he's actually quite quite different, even though it's similar. But uh, so kind of start talking a little bit about the the artwork. Um, I'd say it was about ten years ago that I started started painting. And so I had been a liberal arts, and one of my majors was uh, was art. And I never really took a whole lot of figure figure painting or, or drawing, you know, just the, the minimum. So I never got really good at it, and I was always kind of afraid of, of doing that. So then as I was visiting my parents, and uh, just to uh, kind of get out of the get out of their way, I just started. They, my mother had these really cheap kind of fabric paints that you paint on, like T-shirts and things. And I decided to do a few few paintings. I was moving up to Arrow River, and uh, and I knew they didn't have any any sort of artwork or what they had was really really old. And I had an idea of doing three paintings. I wanted to do one of our teacher Ajahn Chah, and uh, so I started painting. I just I hadn't painted since I graduated from college, and I just loved it. And my mother saw this, and so she bought me a set of paints, and uh, and so I just slowly started. I took on a project for for two years of painting one image of Ajahn Chah over and over and over again. I think Mark and Wynn are suffering with one of my early, early results. Um, so it was like, I would paint them, so you have, you know, almost 600 paintings. Most of them ended up in the, in the fire, for fire starter, but, uh, um, and it took me about two years, though, before I could actually get an image to kind of look like what I really wanted it to look like, you know, consistently, like 95% of the time it would actually look like Ajahn Chah. And uh, it was interesting, when I did the icon uh, workshop, uh, the teacher, was, his, name, his name's uh, Father Damien, and uh, he was kind of surprised when I told him this, but he said when he, he got his instructions on how to be an icon painter, his teacher gave him three days of instructions, and that's all he got. And so he basically gave him the technique, and then he, just, he left, and he had to figure it out on his own. So it was all about experimentation, how to use the pigments, how to get the right the tones right, and, and with, you know, I'd say the icon painting, it's the egg tempura. So it was like, the um, you know humidity makes a difference. The temperature makes a difference. The what you're painting on, how dry it is, makes a difference. And so there's all these things that you just have to learn through experience. And uh, and so he, he said, you know, when he first started painting, he said it took about two years before anybody actually realized he was painting figures. You know, it's like, and uh, he said, uh, you know, and I said, oh yeah, I understand that. <laughs> and he was kind of surprised. I said, yeah, it was like two years before I could actually do a, do a human face that looked like a human face. Because we all know it. He's like, that's how we recognize people, is through the face. So if you're drawing a picture of a face, and just, if one eye is a millimeter off, people see that. You know, or if it's two millimeters off, it's, 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 then it's wrong. So the two hardest things to do are the face and the hands. Everybody knows what those look like and how they how they are. So it takes you know it takes a lot of time. So just for over two years, I kept painting over and over the same painting, and then I would try a few others every once in a while just to kind of keep it a variety. But you know, just basically two years. So it's just, to me, it's like you know, speaking of you know, the dedication to meditation practice and just you know doing one thing over and over and over again and trying to. One thing that was fascinating though was like I was doing 
the painting of Ajahn Chah, like as I started getting sort of better and better at it, I started noticing like, you know, the folds of the robes, if you actually pay attention, it's like you can actually tell there's an arm under there because of the shadow. So it's like I noticed, I go back and look at the early paintings like, wow, I totally missed that. Or I could actually see what was happening under his robe. I could tell where his feet were and where his hands were and just by the, the, the robes. And so it was, it, was, it was totally amazing to me like how much I was still learning, you know, after two years. I think you'd, you'd see a picture. It's like, okay, you know what it looks like. But I was still learning more and more almost every time I'd paint it. It was just that fascinated me. But then what happened was I got to the point where I could, I could do it, say, 95% of the time, and I lost interest. So I kind of set it down for about five years. And then occasionally I'd pick it up again and just do, like, we might have a visiting guest coming and I wanted to just do a card or something for, for them. And so I'd do a couple of paintings. So I always kept it in, in, in my mind, but didn't really pick it up much. And then it was about two years ago, I was on a winter retreat, and uh, um, I had been doing walking meditation all day long. And we were, uh, it was completely uh, unstructured practice, so like as soon as I got up in the morning, I started doing walking meditation, and it got to be dark in the evening about seven, and I was physically exhausted, and I didn't want to go to sleep at seven. I was just like, no, I need to stay awake. And I even had the thought, like, if I, if I just even read a book or study or something, I'm just going to fall asleep. And I remembered that I had the, my paints in the cabin, just in a, in a box. And I had four drawings that I had done of, of Ajahn Chah. And uh, I had this image of Lakota um, spirituality, the, the four colors of Lakota, the red, yellow, black, and white. And I had this image of doing four Buddha images in those colors. And uh, so I had the drawings. It was easy to kind of convert a human figure into the Buddha image. And so I sat down and I started painting. It was 7 o'clock. And I finished all four paintings in one sitting. And then I looked over at the clock and it was three in the morning. So I'd gone from being completely exhausted to just being completely awake. Eight hours had passed and I didn't know, even a minute had passed. It was just like, boom, we're done. And then I went over and I sat until dawn and then went down and had breakfast. You know, it was like I didn't even sleep that night and I'd been completely exhausted. And so I was like, ah, remember that. <laughs> remember this. And so then slowly, at first it was like maybe just a couple times a week, I'd, I'd start doing some painting. But what I started noticing was, is that uh, uh, for anybody here who knows me, I tried to walk from New Orleans to, to Mississippi. And that's actually the first time I came here, so that was 10 years ago. And I got really ill. So for three years, I was like sleeping like 16 to 18 hours a day, just, uh, just trying to recover from this, this illness. And slowly, uh, I'm, I'm three, three years ago, I had my tonsils removed finally, and that's what's really kind of done it, helped me. But uh, so I was... Um, yeah, getting even even after that, I was still getting anywhere from like six to eight hours of sleep a day, which is kind of a lot for a Buddhist monk, actually. And then, but uh, so uh, when I started doing these, the days that I was painting, the next morning I would wake up and I'd be like completely refreshed, and my meditations were really good in the morning. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And I was talking to the abbot about this, and he's like, yeah, because well, yeah, I was kind of like, is this okay for me to be painting? It doesn't seem like a thing a monk should be doing, and. He's like, well, it seems to be having good results for you, so you know, go ahead and continue. So then I started painting every single night. And, uh, and I would get so absorbed into the painting. I love this line. I'd have to set my alarm for midnight so I would go to sleep. Because <laughs> if I didn't set it, I'd, I'd look over and be, oh, it's 3 o'clock, I've got to get up in an hour. And so uh, I'd just get totally absorbed into it. And uh, so just you know, much less sleep, but just doing something that the mind was interested in that it actually you know, loved doing and it was always looking for the time, that that energy, that enthusiasm actually did transfer over into everything else of my, in my life, not just the meditation, but I felt like I had more time for people and you know, was more patient and, and uh, you know, more helpful to, to around the monastery, but especially I noticed it in terms of, of uh, not being, um, you know, just the meditations just being much more clear. What the difficulty was, though, is I was pushing how much sleep I was getting, and uh, I ended up in the emergency room. I almost took my finger off in, a, in, a, in, a, in an accident, so I realized, okay, you can take it too far. John's always been telling me for years, he's been watching me working in the workshop, and he's like, you're going you're gonna to get hurt one of these days. And I was like, nah. <laughs> but uh, lack of sleep, so you do have to pay attention both ways. So I was like pushing it too much. So you had to learn that way. But... Uh, um, so, yeah, so 
that's where I've you know come paying attention is you know you get you got to find a balance. But so far, it's like it's been working with the the, uh, the painting. And I'll talk a little bit when I get into some of the paintings here, but. I'm actually just now made the determination. I think I have one more painting I want to finish when I get back to Abayagiri, and then I'm going to be moving to the state of Washington just for five months. And I've determined I'm going to set the paints down and not not work on, not do any more painting for a while. And I do find that they, I get these these periods where it's like it's really important for me to be painting, and I get good results from that. And then it's just it's always been my habit of just sort of pick it up for a while, work on it, and then set it down. But then when I come back to pick it up. Because like the other things that I've been doing in my life, like I tend to be doing a lot more studying, a lot more reading, and a lot more just meditating. You know, I'm going to have the opportunity to do that. And so I just have a feeling that that's going to then feed the artwork. The artwork I'm doing now is feeding my ability to meditate and study. But then if I go deeper into that, when I come back to painting, I think it's going to be you know, something quite different will happen. And I'll show you kind of my, my next idea that I have. The other thing, too, is like I've been working on this this summer, like three or four different ideas. And I just love it when I'm, when I'm doing the meditation, or doing the painting as this meditation, is that I'll come up with an idea, and then the mind will just be continually mulling it over. Like if I, I have like a half-hour walk from the main house where we, we do our meditations to my cabin, and I'll be walking through the forest, and it just the mind will be kicking over ideas, like, oh, you could do it this way, or how about that, or, you know, just, you know, Thinking it up, so I see it as just it's, it's always with having those ideas in mind. The mind is at least always saying in a, in a wholesome realm. It stops, you know, complaining about things or worrying about things or you know whatever our negative tendencies is. It's always staying on this positive. And so far, I've always tried to keep my images of the Buddha or of, of various say monks or teachings, so it stays in that realm. So it's always contemplating the Buddha images and. You'll see the very last paintings. I'm starting to get a little, little more abstract, and I was kidding the abbot. I said, "I bet if I stop painting the Buddha, if I take the Buddha out of the painting and just do the rest of it, you'll probably make me stop painting, right?" And he said, "We'll see. <laughs> don't know, but uh, I, I don't intend to do that." So, John, can I see the first, first image? So I just I included this one, um, kind of as an example of you know finally being able to to do images that looked looked human. <laughs> so this would have been a, what I initial initial idea I had was a, of, of doing say like a Tibetan Tonka painting, uh, doing something I like working quite large. So I had this image of like say a, a you know four foot by six foot kind of painting and it was gonna have a large Buddha image in the center like a Tibetan Tonka would. And the Tibetan images you know have all the you know cultural you know images of like say wrathful deities and images all around it that don't make sense in a Western context, for me anyway. And uh, so I was thinking of I could, how I could sort of do a series of paintings of like images that happen in the monastery. So like there, I, have image, I have did a whole bunch of paintings of like say monks giving Dhamma talks or um, washing their alms bowls or this is like you know stacking firewood and uh, just going on alms round or people meditating, just sort of having these images. And I hadn't quite figured out what I was going to do, but I did a whole series of paintings, you know, like dozens that were just sort of like, I call them studies, and so that's what these were. And then I would, uh, I sew fabric on the outside of them, and then uh, and they have, you can, I kind of have them as, as wall hangings. So this is, I just have this one here as an example of like some of the things I would be doing at, at certain times, just like learning how to paint and, and playing around. Let's see the next image. So then we were actually visiting our next door neighbor is a Byzantine uh, Ukrainian Orthodox monastery, and the abbot there is Father Damien, who's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's the one who's the icon painter. And we were visiting him uh, when the abbot's mother was visiting, and uh, we uh, were there, and he was giving us a tour, of the, and I'd been there before, but uh, the, the, the abbot had just become the abbot. He had moved from Georgia, and so I hadn't seen him for like 15 years. But he was giving us a tour of their monastery, and he was talking about the because he did all the icon paintings in their church, and he was talking about you know the icons. We were asking him questions, and I realized just listening to him was like he was using his artwork as a way to to talk about his faith, and he wasn't you know sort of pushing it on us, but it was just a way of him to to talk about yeah his his religion and his his devotion, and uh, and I was in that meeting. I thought you know I really need to take my artwork to another level. So that was like probably April this year, uh, looking at uh, looking at that. And I mentioned to him at the end of the 
the tour that he was giving us, you know, something like, you know, you're, you're kind of inspiring me to you know, take my artwork to another level. He goes, oh, you're an artist. He said, what do you do? I said, paint. He goes, oh, we're, I'm having an icon workshop next week. He goes, do you want to come to it? So I got to go, go sit at uh, the uh, icon paint, paint shop. So this is my, my first uh, uh, icon. And it really is a, you know, icon 101. So this is like, if you, uh, I've met several people, I've shown this image, and they go, oh yeah, I painted that one. <laughs> so that's like the first one that he has people do. And uh, the thing that I found totally fascinating about this, and there's a lot that's fascinating about it, but there were 10 of us doing the, the icon workshop, and seven of us were doing this image. And I think five of us, you could not tell the difference between mine and, and the, other, the other five people. And it's a, it's, the thing, the beauty of it for me was that it, it's this tradition. You know, it's like an 800-year-old tradition of painting icons. And they've you know, really worked out all the details of you know, how they do things, why they do things. And if you just follow the instructions, you just, just listen to what Mark is saying when he's telling you how to meditate, you know, it will have results. And so I really saw that with this. And... Uh, um, the, the beauty of it, you know, sort of doing the workshop was is that I was, uh, um, he was also, the, the, the abbot was working on several of his own paintings at the same time, so I was going over and they were much larger ones and, you know, background information in it and I was asking, you know, sort of all these questions about, you know, icon painting and uh, the, the thing with this image is that, uh, um, see, one point I want to point out is well, when you start off with the, when you, you start painting it, the, I like the image too, is that it's, it's all natural materials. So it's like it's a wooden board. I don't know what the gesso was, but it's all natural materials. So the, the paints are, say, the egg, egg yolk and uh, with, with a little bit of vinegar in it. And then all the pigments are ground pigments from, you know, right from the earth. So it's, there's nothing chemical about this at all. And uh, so you're, you're building it up. And then the first thing you do when you, you select an image based on uh, you know, some sort of quality that, that you're, it's, for the artists themselves, it's a, it's a meditation. So like you would choose an, an icon that you wanted to paint for a particular reason, like the, the, that particular saint or the angel that you wanted to paint represented some sort of quality. So you actually start meditating on it and you actually bring up, so like if it's, say, loving kindness, you'd actually bring up loving kindness as a meditation and having that intention in mind and you'd select the image. And then the first thing you do is to trans... There's many ways you can do it. If you're a skilled artist, really skilled, you could just draw it on the image. But for most people, like they would, this image was you know, probably an image exactly like that. It was on a piece of paper, and so we had to put tracing paper over it. And then you draw all of the, the, the main sort of images onto it. And then you flip the tracing paper over, and then you draw it again from the backside just of the... The, with a really heavy graphite, you know, the, the soft lead, and then you put that image onto your your the, the board, and then you either draw it again a third time, or if it's really thick, you can just rub it on. But we had, had to draw it a third time, and so then that transfers the the graphite onto the board, and then you take a stylus pen, and then you go in and you where the lead is, you just scratch very lightly the image again. So what you've done is you've taken the just the outline of that image four times, you've drawn it. And so it's interesting doing it on the front side, but then doing it on the back side. There's something about doing the image forward and backwards. It kind of imprints the image in your consciousness. So like they say, it's oftentimes the first couple of times you do that, like when you go to bed at night, you'll actually dream of the image. It'll, it'll sort of be imprinted in your mind. So that's part of what you're doing. You're trying to make it a prayer that you have with you 24 hours a day, even when you're sleeping. So that actually happened when I did this. And then when you start off with, it's not exactly that color, but the outside of this image is, is this gray paint, but it's very similar to that. And I don't know if this was Father Damien's sense of humor, but the, the first coat of paint you put down is called chaos. And so you, you start off and you're painting this chaos onto the, the, uh, the wooden board. And it's at that point that you actually sort of put your intentions into the icon. So in the Christian tradition, the icon is, is actually... It's actually blessed in the church, and uh, uh, it, they're supposed they, they can have healing healing powers to them. So as you're doing the painting, you 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 bring up what is your intention. It's like is this for you're going to give this to somebody who's sick or who's he's getting elderly, and you just want you know you just put your your intention into it, and you're kind of saying. I think we actually did do a prayer at that point too, as well, a very short one. 
we did a prayer and you're painting on your tensions or into it. So you're actually you know, putting that into the wet paint you know, that's on there. And then when you start, you start from the, the darkest colors first and you know, say with the flesh color. So here would be like the, you know, the part that's close to the hair and a little bit of the shadows under the eyes and things like that. You start with that color and then you, you go um, from darkness to light. So just that image. You start with chaos and then darkness and then you keep building up lighter and lighter and lighter colors. And, and then just out of, you know, very... I think this was this was done in a diff, there's there's some t techniques that you would use up to say 40 or 50 layers of paint just slowly slowly building it up. This was more of he said an opaque style, but he just does that for beginning students. So that may be only like six six sort of colors that you just sort of built up to that, and you get this that image just you know sort of pops out. And then one of the thing he pointed out is with with an icon, there's actually no shadow in an icon. So like the, you start with the, the darkest colors, so that's sort of like really just pure flesh color, and then you know, the light. So the, the image that you get, if it's done really well, is that you have to say it's not, not reflected light, but the light is coming from the beam. So this is like an angel or you know, a heavenly messenger. And so the image, the light is coming from the, from the person. And then uh, the other way that you can also see this too is the, the eyes. So it's like, you know, it's, First time I kind of saw these icons, oh, they're just you know doughy-eyed, you know, sort of, you know, kind of, you know, you know, they don't, they don't, people don't look like that, you know. But what the image is is it's actually sort of someone coming from the light into the darkness of our world, and so it's you know it's a being that's coming down to help us, and then so and there's other things too that are kind of interesting with this image, like the the halo and other images that Father Damien had done. It's like the the, the icon actually comes out of the frame. And so you'll, you'll see that in different ways. In, in most icons, they actually transcend. They come out of the, the canvas. But then the thing I was totally fascinated with, with Father Damien's paintings and all icons in general, I used to always just, just not like icon paint. I just, they're not really an aesthetic experience when you look at it. Oh, that's so beautiful. But the, when you actually understand what they're trying to do, um, a lot of it really makes sense. And so... Like in a in a normal say landscape architectural or, or you know a landscape painting of a modern artist like if you're doing a, a landscape if it's say it's the road going off into the distance so the the per normal perspective is is that you know the fence posts in the front of the picture are really big and they get smaller as they go into the background what that does is that pulls your attention pulls your your conscious or yeah pulls you into the into the painting so the vanishing point is actually behind the canvas. So it invites you into the scene. But what happens with the, it just, it's called reverse perspective in an icon painting. So like the image would be like if, if the, one of the saints is holding a Bible, you know, in, in normal perspective, the front page is going to be the biggest one and they get smaller as they go away, away from the, the viewer. They paint it just the opposite. So the, the, you know, the first page is the, is the smallest one. They get bigger as you go away. Or they might show like, a, you know, like Jesus is carrying a cross or something. Like normal perspective, you'd only see you know, like two sides of the cross. You know, there's the side and then the side. And I noticed like the way he was painting it, you could see the perspective from like three different or four different sides of the cross. And it comes up in many different ways. But what happens is with that, with reverse perspective, instead of the vanishing point, say going out away from you, the vanishing point is actually you. You don't exist in the icon painting. So it's this whole thing of anatta, not self. You know, that, uh, and so um, that's not so much for the artist, but uh, it's for the... So there's a way of you know, looking at an icon as, a, as, a, uh, as the person who's painting it and the prayers that you do. And there's another way of looking at it as you're the viewer of it, the way you take it on. And it's interesting with the... Uh, Father Damien was explaining that if you really look at uh, you know, really, really, really skilled icon painters, like when they're taking on a particular subject, like it might be, you know, like if, if the artist themselves is really a compassionate person and they're doing an icon that's based on compassion, somehow that actually comes out. It's like with their intention, that it actually can be seen. People can actually recognize it, don't even know anything about icon painting. But that same artist, if he's trying to do something, say, like on, based on wisdom, and they don't have any wisdom, it, it doesn't work. You know, it might be technically done beautifully, but it just people don't pick it up. So there's something with the artist and actually it's, it really is this meditation on trying to manifest and bring into consciousness what's, what's being done on the, on the canvas. But as a viewer of it, 
it's, it's actually this real prayer. So it's like you, you come to the icon, again, like with that image of like, this is a being who's come into the world to help us. And then you would also understand, you know, what the, what the individual was representing, what that particular scene is representing. And you come to it with this, you know, this humility. And you, it's actually kind of, you know, meditation and a prayer. And, uh, and, there's, you know, like, and there's all these images of, you know, sort of that reverse perspective that kind of say can really, really take you deep in your, in your concentration when, if you know how to view an icon correctly. So, so I did this workshop, this and everything that I'd done, my painting before that had been, the one I showed you before with all the logs and stuff, that was, that was pretty complicated, but most things were quite simple. And actually, if, it, if most people maybe have seen that little, um, in the, what room do you call that? The community room, there's a little shrine there with a little painting. That was, that was one of my early paintings that I did. And so you can, if you look, go look at that, it's quite very, very simple. And, uh, and then, but that's how they were in the, in the beginning when I did them. And even to recently, I was quite simple. So I was always afraid of doing too much detail. So you want to show the next one, John? So this is the first painting I did after you know, getting back from the Icon workshop. And again, I really love this image of, of uh, Gabriel, who's the, paint, the, the icon I did, of being a light being. And so I knew that White Tara is, uh, this is the Tibetan tradition, but she's a, she's supposed, she is a being of light. And she's uh, actually a physical, one of the physical manifestations. She actually is the Buddha. I didn't actually understand that, but I started doing a lot of research. And so it's a, you know, one aspect of the Buddha. And I uh, forget exactly what qualities she's, she's representing. But uh, I, would have, I did this in one night. And I sat down. This is before I learned the trick of using the alarm clock to to go to sleep, and uh, but I just got, I think I probably even knew, but I was like, I don't care, I just want to finish this one, I was just so, so really into the, into it, and, uh, and the funny thing was, like, I think I finished about two in the morning when I finished it, and I slept and, and got up about 4.30 for a morning, which took about two hours of sleep, but when I woke up, this image was, it was in my head, you know, I woke up and I was actually in the dream, meditating on this image, and then uh, I kept it there for the entire the entire morning, just very consciously, I'll just, just leave it there. And, you know, it stayed there. And at the time, you could have asked me, you know, how many flowers are in, in, in the garland, or, you know, like in her hair, headdress, and I could have told you exactly how many flowers are there. Cause it's, you know, and so, um, and we have a monk in our tradition who's, who's really into sort of the Tibetan practices, uh, and Ajahn Achalo is his name. And uh, I, I wrote to him and told him about this experience. And he goes, hmm, pay attention to that. You know, there's probably some karma there. He, he having practiced and with that tradition and stuff. So my, I said, the, when I get back next summer and start painting again, I want to take this image and I want to do it in the, in the in say, the Christian tradition of the egg tempore. I want to change. Because this is, this is all, just, again, this really cheap sort of fabric paint that you paint on. On, uh, on on T-shirts, that's the the material, the paints. So I want to do it in the egg tempura, and I want to instead of just doing tara, it's just this, you know, completely white. I want to see how to do it in flesh tones, but doing it with that thought of she is a light being, so the light's coming from her. So that's my next. Who knows? Things might change before I go back to it. But, but uh, so the, this was the. I, so I, I did a series of of paintings of her, and uh, actually. The last thing I did is the monastery is I went and there's a, a, a Tibetan uh, artist. He was a monk for nine years and uh, he's doing a, a five story or three story tall tonka painting. And his intention is to he's using it as again to, for him to sort of preserve Tibetan culture and for him to talk about Buddhist teachings. And he wants to travel the world with it. But I went and did a workshop with him and, and I showed showed this to him and. He gave me some, some feedback, but <laughs> there are some things he didn't like what I was doing. But he was totally into like very traditional, um, traditional painting. He said, he said the only thing he didn't really like is that I painted the flower color wrong in her hand. It's supposed to be a white flower for white white Tara. And he showed me the images, and all the images look pink. And I was like, but that's but you have pink in yours. He goes, no, that's white. And I was like, okay, whatever. But uh, <laughs> so is mine. Mine's white too. But but uh, but uh, yeah. It's really funny when I met with him. Um, it's just this huge. I mean, it's like you know, all the way up to that wall there. And I asked him, I was like, you know, what do you see when you see this? Because I just see it. It's, it's only like one fifth done. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And, uh, and I said, what do you see when you look at that? He looked at it for a second. He goes, I see fear. 
And I was like, well, what do you mean? Because I was just totally touched by his honesty. He says, well, it's just, you know, it's open to the public. You know, people come in drinking their Starbucks coffee right in front of it. You know, someone's going to spill it on it or, you know, some crazy person might come in and cut it up. He says, you know, it's taken me a year to do this and I'm so attached to it. He goes, what am I going to feel like in five years? You know, I was just like, wow, it's really impressive. But, um, so I've been, been blessed this last year of actually getting to do a couple of workshops and trying to, you know, just do the artwork. And so, so then, let me see the next one, John. So after doing that previous one, I kind of, like I said, I'd always been afraid of doing details. And so I was thinking, well, the thing about the Christian artwork was that it was a tradition, you know, and that um, you, know, you, you just follow a tradition, you can, you know, I saw the results of that. So this is more kind of the, that drawing in the background was, I, I created it kind of on myself, but looking at architectural drawings and, and, and Thai, Thai artwork in, in ways. And so, you know, that's very... Well, the, the center image around the Buddha is, is it's also kind of a play on my being at, at Mount Tabor. That's the name of the Christian monastery. Is you can see around the, the Buddha, there's four images of they're called devas, and they're just sort of rejoicing. And in the Christian tradition, at their monastery in their in their in their steeple, they have these these uh, light beings up uh, up around, and they're called seraphims. And they they just they they're they, all they do is they just circle God and they just, they just sing praise, you know, holy, 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 holy. So this is kind of my initial attempt of what would that look like in the Buddhist tradition of having these, you know, sort of seraphims or, or devas sort of, you know, celebrating his, his enlightenment or, um, you know, sort of surrounding him. So there's like these fire, they're in the fire, and there's the flowers or kind of images of fire, images around them. But also, too, in the Thai tradition, um, my, my, my sort of critique is that they... They do these exquisite carvings, you know, kind of images like this. And then, you know, the Western mind just sees the wood carvings and think it's absolutely beautiful. But what they do in Thailand is then they spray paint the whole thing red. And then they go in with gold leaf and sort of, you know, sort of you know, the highlights, they, they gold. And it just makes me sick. But, uh, um, but it's like, well, that's the tradition, though. It's like I'm in the Thai tradition and I'm trying to do so. Let's do a few you know, in the Thai tradition. So that's the next... So this is, this is the drawing of it. This is the painting that came, came from that. And so, yeah, so I, I kind of fell in love with, with that tradition as well. And so kind of liked it. So I did a whole bunch of... No, not a whole bunch, but I did five or six kind of paintings like this one. And then I decided... Um, the, this is actually that image right there. And uh, that's the... It has a different, different head piece to it. Um, but uh, it's actually the original for this. No, that's actually the Amravati one. That's the Amravati image. But then, so I took it and I wanted to do this image because this is the image of the monastery. This is a, you know, the Abhayagiri um, Buddha image, our, our main shrine. So I wanted to, I changed it slightly to be the Abhayagiri. And so, kind of being a dark image, ours is, is that color as well. So I tried to do also in the Thai tradition, instead of doing the gold part of that, with like the devas and the fire and stuff, I wanted to do it like mother of pearl, and so I painted it kind of white with this kind of pastel colors in it, and then the black background. I had the black Buddha image, but what happened is the the Buddha image just sort of receded into the background. You could barely see it, and uh, it was very subtle. It was actually beautiful in its own way. So I decided just to go around the edge of the Buddha with this uh, just uh, the pastel colors again to highlight it. And I love the effect, so I was like, let's just do a little bit more, let's do a little bit more. And then the whole thing just exploded on me, and this is what happened when I did it. Can you show me the next one, John? Can we get that? It's a, this is a, it's a dark, I mean, it's actually not that dark. It's actually it's much more light. Can we turn the lights off just for a second? Maybe that will make it um, a little... Yeah. That's, that's a little better. It's even lighter than that, actually. But it just the the image I get of this is this sort of like if you just look at the Buddha image, it's very peaceful and serene. But you know everything around it's like Mardi Gras, <laughs> and so it's just like that's real life. But the Buddha is just you know peaceful and calm in the midst of all of that. So then, I just did this one about three or four weeks ago, and then I did a series of three or four other paintings. Can I see the next one, John? Oh, that, there should be one more. Oh, maybe not. Okay, that was it. But I did, uh, yeah, that's right, I didn't, didn't put it in there. 
But I've done, I've done, every time I do it, I try to do it with a different color scheme. Yeah, we can turn the lights on. I thought I was going to talk about admonishment, but I guess I'm not going to have time. You have to invite me back to do that. I, I can open myself up for criticism, though. And then you can study how to respond to criticism by how I respond to your <laughs> your feedback. I, d I definitely wanted to leave leave some time. It's actually we have about 20 minutes, and so uh, well, just very quick. I did want to say, well, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even get into that. But uh, um, yeah, I just wanted to open up for questions. Yeah. Well, I do find that it's like uh, I like just during normal, say you know, like uh, you know, just being in, in the day normally, things like that. Like say, loving kindness is the main meditation that I, I practice. So it's like when I'm physically sitting in meditation, I'll be doing you know, going through the phrases, you know, very very specifically, or you know, um, you know slightly different than like maybe it's been taught just because over the years I've developed my own method. But it's definitely like you're you're doing a method and you're you're following that. But then the instructions I've always been given is like when you're not physically meditating, you can't keep that intensity up because you've got to be moving and things like that. But you just keep a very, you know, just very gentle feeling of that, you know, the intention of, of wishing well or not, just basically just not wanting to harm anybody. You just try to try to keep that as your intention. So it's like, so when I say I, like I use the painting as a, as a meditation, like I'll have that kind of continually going as well. But I just allow the mind to just to, to dwell in the in the object of the painting. So, like you know, um, even while I've been giving this talk, my mind has actually been thinking about how am I going to do that Tara as like tempora, you know, or you know, yeah, I could do, yeah, do you know, maybe it doesn't have to totally be flesh colors. We could just be variations of the white, you know. Or, so it's like the mind is there's part of the mind that's already mulling that that question over. So it's like, but I very consciously let that part into my mind, and so it's just uh, and. Uh, like, you know, we all have our own tendencies or, you know, like, uh, say, negative tendencies and things like that. Mine can be quite, uh, be critical. Like, you know, I think, I'm, I think I'm really intelligent when I can put other people down. <laughs> I can see what's wrong with them. So it's like, you know, to see that, and then when I'm, you know, when I'm really involved in a painting and stuff like that, I might go like two or three days without ever, you know, criticizing somebody. And then I realize, oh, wait, I, you know, I haven't, haven't done that for a long time. It's quite interesting. So I, I do find, like, the painting is completely taking me out of that. It's like taking that same energy, that negative energy, whatever it is for anybody, it's like taking that negative energy and just it's just being put into a wholesome, wholesome activity. So it becomes a meditation that way. And then, um, and there's also like a lot of, you know, like planning or thinking, like the, the drawing that I did of, the, of, of, of those three drawings. You know, it took me like, you know, five or six drawings to get it all symmetrical and to get it, you know, so it actually, and I actually expanded it, so I put ten devas in it instead of four. I didn't like the way the Buddha was sitting on the on the bottom of the frame, so I had him in the center of it. So I got actually, I think I got one image here. You might be able to see it, but yeah. So I just it became more in the in the center instead of like uh, this image is sitting on the bottom of the frame, and. Uh, Actually, people over there didn't really get to see these paintings very much, so so you can see what I was talking about. If you didn't get to see it, there's some, you can pass those around. And uh, um, but then when I'm physically painting, you know, it's like uh, um, I talk about or the way I talk about it is it's like um, you know, I just right now like I'm every every night for two hours. We usually our evening meditations done about eight thirty. It takes a half hour to get back to my cabin, so I've got from nine. And then um, I would just from from nine to eleven at least every night we'll just do sit down and, and, and paint. And sometimes the mind just doesn't want to do it. It just you know just it doesn't have the energy, doesn't want to do it. It's like tough luck. <laughs> you know, I don't want to meditate. Well, fine, meditate anyway. You know, and that's that's kind of the, the attitude we kind of have. Like, well, I don't. You know, it's like especially living in community. It's like you know, like I don't want to go to the ordination today. Doesn't matter. You go. You know, I don't want to go to work today. I, it doesn't matter. You go. And so the same thing with painting. I kind of really use it that way. It's like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, you don't feel the energy. So you, I do something, and it can just be. It doesn't even have to be actually painting. So some days I'll just uh, like uh, go through all my drawings and just you know try to gather ideas or you know try some different drawings of it. Or um, oftentimes, like I do. Um, so the fat I. I it's really interesting. It's like the painting is only one aspect of it. It's like what I'll do when I finish a painting is uh, like here's another 
another one like, like you know, have an image you know, like this as a painting. And then what I do is I'll sew a piece of fabric around the outside, so for a frame, so it's like a frame, frame fabric. And then I'll usually put two or three heavy layers of fabric behind it. And then I'll get, like, people uh, offer me up fabrics and stuff like this because they know I'm doing it. And, the, and they're just, like, you know, really ornate, and there's no way I'd ever use it on the outside of the border. So I take some of the most beautiful fabric and I put it on the back side. And then I make this little little sleeve that you can put a dowel rod behind it so you can hang it. So there's the sewing of it. So some nights I might just go to the sewing room and just sew the borders on and do all of that. But then even once you finish it, you have to hand sew the, the hand board around the outside of it, for like, like you do like in quilting. So that takes about an hour to do that for most paintings. And so if I really don't feel like painting, like I, right now I think I've got like five paintings that have just need that done to it. So if I really just don't want to do it, get, get involved with painting, I'll just do that. And so, yeah, just, but I just use it as every night, you just, you're going to do it for two hours. Uh, and and uh, to do that. But when I'm usually, when I'm painting though, it, the mind just gets really absorbed into, into what it's doing, especially like the one of white tar where there's, you know, there's like a thousand different elements to it and, you know, hundreds of flowers and stuff like that. Just really paying attention to getting the colors right and you know, where they're going. So the mind does get, um, yeah, it just gets, gets, it's not one pointed in, in like, say, like what John of practice would be because you do have to be aware of, of movement and things like that. But the concentration that comes from that is, is pretty, pretty strong. So I, I do use it as a meditation that way. I haven't really gotten into um, using it as like you know like as you're painting, sort of like when doing the white tar, which I might actually do. And I asked, asked Father Damien, and he, he doesn't do it either because you do need to be attention to like what color you're using and stuff like that. So I don't really like you know like going through the loving kindness phrases as I'm doing it. Or and I've actually talked to very few artists that, that do like even this Tibetan artist who's in this really beautiful stuff. He, you know, he doesn't really try to do it that way. It's just really just being mindful of what you're doing and, and doing it that way. So, and yeah. Yeah. So actually, like, you could see in the, the one drawing that I had. So, like, yeah, I would work that out, you know, many times on, on paper and stuff. But then, like, once I got that image the way I liked it, I have a, a light box. And so um, the light's coming behind it. And then you just put another piece of fabric over it, and I just actually just trace the image. So it like, takes a long time to get an image drawn the way I want it. But then once I do, then I just, just use that one over and over and over again. Until, and then I might notice things that I don't like about it, and then I can slowly, slowly change them. So to do the, I'm not, like I say, even though I can paint an image, I, I couldn't draw one <laughs> still. But, uh, um, and that's a very common, common practice or way of doing it, is to use a light box or like in the, say, the Christian tradition there of using the, the tracing paper. To do it this, the same way, because when I went to the uh, the icon or the uh, Tonka painting workshop with the Tibetan uh, artist, he did it the exact same way with the tracing paper. He, he had me do a white tar because he knew I was doing. I showed him that tar image, and uh, and yeah, I did a yeah day long workshop with him, and that's he did it exactly the same way. So I thought it was kind of interesting. But then you had to make the image three dimensional on the painting. That that just takes lots of practice, <laughs> and uh, yeah. But it's interesting because like everything I've done so far, you know, I've always thought of it. Well, it's interesting because like before I did the icon workshop, my idea of an icon without ever really looking at them was a, just like a two dimensional image. And so I have a bunch of images I did like that, and then um, and then you know doing the workshop and realizing it's just just the opposite of that. Um, yeah, so it's just uh, still still learning. But everything I have done so far, even in, in even in the the most recent ones, you know, it's still the image that I'm painting is reflect. It's, it's the images of reflected light off of a you know off of a Buddha image. You know, the images I'm looking at are uh, I'll, I'll print out images from our computer. Like I'll go around and photograph, like say this Buddha image and you know, and study how the light's reflecting off of it or what images you see, just ways to try to make it more and more real. Um, but I haven't, because that's what's going to be fun about it, is like, cause I, I'm getting close enough now where I can do that, but now it's, I'm going to have to reverse the way I'm seeing it. So, yeah. Any other? Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing is, as a monk, too, because, like, we don't, uh, you know, have money or anything like that, and so um, what can happen, you know, is, like, as a monk, like you might become really friendly to somebody who's very generous, 
you know, because so they might give you things and stuff like that. So I'm really very conscious of not trying to do that. So like, what I tend to do is I do tend to give give everything that I do away, or either either it's like you know I'll keep it for a while, then I'll actually as I get better as an artist, and I'll think it's not any good, and I'll just you know recycle it or you know do something else with it, you know, use it as fire starter, you know, stuff like that. But if I do, if my problem is so far like every time I do an image that I really really like. You know, so I immediately want to give it away, so I never have it to study to see what what I've done, you know, learn from it, which I think is fine. But I, I do tend to I give everything away, and so I, I don't. I only have one. The very first painting I did of Ajahn Chah that actually turned out looking like him. That's the only one I haven't been able to give away. It's, it's the only painting that I've that I've kept. So I, I very consciously give them away, and uh, I think you're, you're you're probably right. The 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 joy that you get from painting, like you know, how do you how do you not get attached to that? And so that's that's like my biggest biggest thing. And I remember telling the abbot, you know, it's like, um, uh, you know, with not getting enough sleep and stuff like that, and you know, painting and stuff like that. And I said, you know, here's here's the deal. Like as long as I, as long as I continue to make it to group activities, as long as I you know don't start missing that that can happen with with uh, in a monastic community, somebody might get really involved in something and then they that becomes their whole life. They stop coming to the morning and evening pujas and stuff like that. So as long as I can you know, continue to do those, you know, everything that's asked of me of the community life, as long as I'm doing that, you know, I think it'll probably be okay. And as soon as I said that, the very next day we had a business meeting and I forgot to come. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but that's, yeah. So just looking at attachments and, yeah, I think, does that answer the question? Kind of? Yeah. But it's it's been easy for me. I just I just I just I actually just like the painting process and the the end result. It's, it's, it's been so far. It's been very easy for me to to give them away. But I do have to pay attention to. So far, what I've done so far is usually I could give them to say like I've given gave one to Mark because he's a he's a teacher, and I've given one to um, the, 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 the common ground here, and so I give them to like monasteries or things like that. So I tend to try to give them to people that are uh, serving the monastery, not me. Yeah, so, yeah, you had a question? Yeah. Good. I'll have to contemplate that one, yeah. Yeah. It does bring joy. I think that's definitely why I do it. And so, yeah, that's a good question, though, in general. Yeah. Ajahn, there's a, up in British Columbia, Ajahn Sona um, is at a monastery called Birkin Monastery. I think they've you know, changed the name of it since then, but uh, Birkin Monastery. He was a classical musician. Before he, he uh, became an artist, and he's talking about like say with the music that uh, you know for him it's like in in Western music he said there's always you know the thing with music is is that you always have tension and then, then it gets resolved so it's like that's actually what you're doing in the art is actually bringing up the tension but it only works because there's the resolution in in the music itself but he's pointing out like in, in Asian music that, that they don't have the have those those same notes that cause that, and so it's very. Or in like say Gregorian chanting, doesn't use those same notes either. And he was you remember he was talking about that to somebody who was a filmmaker, and they were they were kind of uh, questioning like the more they got into meditation, the less they were you know kind of inclined to make make films. And he was sort of like you know just they were questioning that like you know what they should do. And then I remember him just sort of talking about that. Yeah, well. It's, a lot of it is, you know, con- you're creating the conflict, but then you're resolving it. The same thing. So, yes, yeah, so art's very complicated. And yeah, any other questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I see. Uh, you know, the um, the way Ajahn Chah would kind of talk about it is, you know, um, metta practices is kind of when you talk about. Vipassana and samatha practices, so it's like calming practices versus insight practices. So, uh, uh, or you know, calming or, or kind of focusing practices. So, you, metta would be more in that category, and so it's it's just learning to you know, developing mindfulness, learning you know to come back to the object, you know, that kind of practice. But Ajahn Chah would be like uh, the way he described it. So, like if if this was a knife, and this is the the handle, and that's the blade, it's like. This is samatha. That's vipassana. You, you know, pick up the you know, say pick up the blade of the knife. You pick up the handle as well. So you actually pick up. You can't separate them that way. That's what Halogen Chah would describe it. So in, in developing, 
like the way I describe, like uh, say, like you know, the kind of focusing meditations, it's like you know, you, you want to be able to say focus the mind. So you sit down and you just want to be with the breath. So you sit down, but you can't do it. Your your mind's wandering all over the place and stuff like that. So you start learning. You actually use vipassana in some ways to like sort of figure out. Well, you know, if I if I didn't stay up till three in the morning painting, you know, I'd have more energy, so I could do this. Or if I eat this particular type of food, then I have I feel agitated the next day. Or if I'm in a conversation with somebody and I disagree with them, if I argue with them, I'm going to feel agitated. So you start learning through the sort of you know investigation practices, the vipassana, you know, why you can't do the samatha. But then as you start learning that, then your samatha gets better, your concentration gets better. And then because of that, then your concentration gets better. The vipassana gets, gets stronger. You start seeing things at a different level. So they're, they're, I see it as they're very interrelated. So it's like, I say I do love and kindness practice, but a lot of it's investigation of why I don't practice it or you know, how I'm failing or you know, things like that. Yeah. So I say, try to do them both all the time. <laughs> but there is a distinction you know, in terms of like how you're focusing or what you're doing. So I just tend to put my focus on the... On the, on the loving kindness or you know those, those kinds of practices where at a certain point you know it's, it's good to to really just bring that up as a compliment as a reflection you know sort of seeing life in terms of how everything's you know changing or everything's there's stress to it so there's there's, there's benefits of, of each one and you should you know experiment and see if it, if it my teacher Ajahn Pasna would just say you just pay attention to the results and just say if, if it leads you to to, you know, more energy, to less less attachment, to uh, being kinder than great. <laughs> but if it's leading the opposite direction, then well, then you need to tweak the practice a little bit. Yeah. Any questions over here? Getting close to nine. One more question. Yeah, Gail. Um, yeah. Oh, just yeah. In terms of like, yeah, being self-critical of the way the paintings come out. That I don't know why, but that's never come up for me. You know, it's just if it doesn't work out, it's like, okay, rip it up. You know, just didn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually I've never. I know a lot of people have asked me that question before, and I remember the first time hearing it going. I mean, I know why people do that and stuff like that, but it just it just realized that just, that's just not part of my my personality. Yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm not, I don't have an out, I don't, I don't want, I don't see myself as ever, you know, wanting to be a professional artist or, you know, wanting to get my picture in the, in the, in that museum. There's no, there's no goal behind it in terms of, you know, the outcome of the painting. Like, you know, I don't care if they, if, you know, if nobody ever liked them, you know, I would still be doing it because I can see the benefits for myself. So, yeah, so I, I don't really have a, yeah, I'm not doing them because I want to do great artwork. Yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not it at all. I mean, if it happens, maybe I don't know if it'd be good or not. It could be bad because <laughs> might be quite a distraction. But uh, um, but right now, yeah, there's no attachment to it at all. I think uh, I think uh, a gentleman's you know comment about you know the attachment to actually doing it. That's that's where I would like if I got in a situation where I couldn't do it, I would suffer because of that, not because of you know that that would be. But that's why I'm actually also too putting it down for the next five months just to see how I, how I react to that and and because. You know, it's like, it is the, well, Mark was sort of pointing out, I was, uh, you know, in, in the Christian tradition of, of our, of, of actually teaching, to say, you know, what is the word of God? It's the, the you know, the, they talk about it in terms of the, like the teaching, the word, it's in the Bible, so it's written. That's one way of talking about the word. The other is the liturgy. So it's the, it's the you know, so the, the way they chant or the Gregorian chanting and, and the music in the church. That's, that's a very, that's a, Considered one of the three very valid ways of expressing your, you know, to God. And the third one is the icon painting. And so, and I kind of realized, like in the Theravada tradition and the Thai forest tradition, you know, our chanting is like, ugh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a, it's like a ward, you know, it's a very, very dull. Um, you, know, you know, there's hardly, you know, we don't use instruments at all, and it's just, you know, it's pretty dry. Our chanting, so music isn't part of our tradition. And then, um, you know, it's mainly Dhamma talks and books. That's like how we do every, you know, everything. But Mark was pointing out, it's like, no, it's, it's actually being. He didn't mean it's in a negative way. It kind of, it could sound this way. He said, but you're you're a performance artist. You know, like, you you dress up in robes and you shave your head and you you know you you, you dance around with alms bowls. You know, walking through the village and you know 
and you chant on command, and you know, it's like, yeah, it is a performance, but but it is an art, but it is an art, and so it's like, so he was absolutely right, and so, you know, so a lot of, you know, a lot of it is, you know, so the creative, creative energy, it's like when I stop painting, I know it's going to come out in other ways, you know, it's going to come out, and, and uh, I, I told the story, like, right about 20 years ago, I was, uh, I was a whitewater kayaker, that was my entire life, actually, and I lived in New England, and we're big, big whitewater, and I was uh, filling out an application to be a big brother, and I was with, with a friend of mine who was also a kayaker, and, and they came to this question, like, you know, do you do anything creative? And I was like, well, you know, I was an art major in college, but I haven't done anything, you know, for five, six years. He just laughed, he goes, what do you mean? He goes, you're a whitewater kayaker. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right, because it's like all of my creative energy was going into the kayaking, and it really is, it's, this, you know, it's like dance, it's exactly like dance, it's just, uh, and so I was like, oh yeah, that's right, so... Um, but then once I kind of realized that, then I started picking up paints. It was like, you know, I was actually subconsciously throwing all of my energy into the, into the, into the kayaking. And so, and so now it's like that, that, that energy will come out in other, other ways. Yeah. So. Okay, well, I'll be around just for a, a short while, so if anybody has any, any questions or any criticisms you want to, you know, <laughs> um, skillful comments, you know, we can, I'll be around for that, so... Mm. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.